You are listening to the weekly podcast of City Church Orlando, located just off of 1792 at 650 Airport Boulevard in Sanford, Florida. Our website, orlandocitychurch.com. Today, lead pastor Eugene Smith will continue with our series called One Month to Live. What makes you passionate about life? Jesus said in John 10, 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Today, we will discover how we can find the God who fuels and fills our passions. Our scripture text comes from Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 11. Today's message is entitled, Live Passionately. We are people of faith. When everything looks bleak, when everything looks impossible, believers believe in a good God. Believers believe that God, if God be for them, who can be against them? The theme verse is John chapter 10, verse number 10. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read this verse off the screen, but we're also going to turn to another passage found in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's in the Old Testament. It's page 298 in Pastor Glenn's Bible. 298 in Pastor Glenn's Bible, but it's uh, also on your handout. But if you have your Bibles, you can follow along also in 1 Kings chapter 19. But John chapter 10, verse number 10, I want you to read this verse with me. I want you to hear this verse. This is from the Message Translation. The Bible says, a thief is only there to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I came so they may have real and eternal life, more and better life than they've ever dreamed of. That's Jesus. A better life than you could have ever dreamed of. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word today. You see, Jesus lived a life of passion. He was a man who was passionate about what he was doing. He came to this earth with a very clear goal in mind. And that was to offer redemption. That was to offer the forgiveness of sin. That was to offer the ability for man to come back into right relationship with God. I thought maybe they're going to join us up here on the, on the stage. To offer an, a, a relationship with the God who created and made them in his image. You know what I discovered about passion? Is that people will pay a lot of money to watch somebody who is passionate. Think about it. I'll say the name, and you tell me what they do. Michael Jordan. Walt Disney, Bill Gates, Donald Trump, what'd you say? Oh, you're fired, yeah, Glenn's firing me today, you're out of here, I mean household names, Oprah, Steven Spielberg, I mean, these are household names, but every single one of these people were passionate about what they did and what they do. Michael Jordan said this. He said, I love basketball. He said, long before I ever thought that I would make millions of dollars playing basketball, he said, I love to play basketball. He was passionate about it. And passionate people make a difference in their world. They just do. Passionate people make a difference in their world. They literally wake up in the morning with the thought. Now, they don't, might not think of it like this, but they don't think of their life necessarily that they have a long time to live. They want to accomplish something today. They want to accomplish something. They have a goal in mind, and they're working on that goal today to accomplish something bigger 
in their life. So that's what passionate people do. People who have a sense of passion or a sense of mission or a sense of purpose wake up in the morning. Now I saw a couple of these man-on-the-street interviews I was going to show, but we decided not to do it. But some of these man-on-the-street interviews where they ask people, what are you passionate about? And I was amazed at how many people really didn't even know what they're passionate about. But I bet you we could go to this congregation today and we stuck a microphone in your face real quick and we ask you what you're passionate about and your brain would freeze because you're trying to think about it. But if you just talk, you start to talk, I can tell you what you're passionate about. Someone drove up today in a 1966 Mustang. And they, a 1965 Mustang that's been restored. And they just bought a 1966 Mustang Coupe that they're going to restore. I can tell you what they're passionate about. Because the first thing he told me is that, hey, I just bought a 1966 Mustang Coupe that I'm going to restore. What is he passionate about? He's passionate about restoring cars. You see, what you're passionate about will come out of your mouth. You'll talk about it. This journey that we're on together really is about what would I do if I knew I only had 30 days to live. Therefore, the wristband. It's why I haven't taken it off since we started this. Because it really is motivating me to look at my life in a different way. And I hope it does for you too. There's a guy named Tim McGraw, and he sings a song. It's entitled, Live like you're dying. Eternity is before us all. Every person here has eternity in their future. Every person. We will breathe our final breath at some point in life. And it's not on our calendar. We don't know when that day is coming. I mean, this song is, you know, actually I'd only heard it a couple of weeks ago when Chris Allen, my wife showed it to me, Chris Allen, a young man who was a worship leader and won American Idol last year, sang it. And, and Tim McGraw sang the song, but there's some powerful messages there about how we live our life. And this reality for me has become very real. And what it's helped me define is really what is my goal in life? What is my purpose in life? I stood over the coffin of a 29-year-old man this Friday. Did the funeral at 10 o'clock. He didn't have that on his day timer. He didn't have a day timer because he lived a life without purpose. His life was without purpose, and he ended his life in a terrible way. No one should have to live. No one should have to end their life like that. He was 28 years of age. Somehow along the journey of life, he just never knew his purpose. He never discovered his purpose. And therefore, at 28 years of age, we were burying him in the ground. And so we did the funeral, and then Pastor Glenn did the interment. And as we were standing there, they put his body into the grave. And first, they all walked by. And it was an open casket. I'd actually never seen an open casket at the graveside. Normally, open casket at the funeral, but they opened it again at the graveside because there was a lot of hurt there. There was a lot of hurt in the relationship between the mother and the father and between the families. And so we watched as they passed by one more time and then they lowered the body into the ground and no one left. The family stood there and they watched the bodies go into the, the body go into the ground. And then they stood there while the undertakers came and they closed, the, uh, they, they closed up the, the, the tomb and then they put the seal on top. They stood there for the whole thing. I'd never seen that before. So what happened was there were some people that lived, that were there, that had not lived like they were dying. And life had really become about them. And because of that, because the relationships, this young man always said he never had a chance. It didn't seem like to me he had a chance. And his life was hard. And it ended up in a very, very hard way. And I thought of that. I said, God, I mean, what can I take from this? You know, I'm not going to live my life that. And I felt so clearly in my spirit, the Lord gave me one call. 
and one mission. And that was to help you discover the passion and the gift and the, and the calling that God has placed in your life. That's my one job. Paul used the biblical phrase to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. But my one purpose in life is to communicate the message of hope that's found in this book to you in such a way that will inspire your life to live with the mission, with the live, live with a, a divine sense of purpose. Now, all throughout the Bible, we find guys who really had a clear sense of their purpose. And they always were people who were radical. They had radical faith. They were willing to take risks that no one else was willing to take. I mean, from the very beginning of time, the people who followed God were always taking risks and stepping out. And they weren't doing the safe and the secure thing. They were breaking outside of molds. They were breaking outside of paradigms. They were breaking outside of restraints and constrictions that had been put on them by their culture. Because they heard a higher call. They heard the voice of God speak to them. One such person is a man by the name of Elisha. If you have your Bibles, you can look at Elijah and Elisha's story in the book of 1 Kings. I have it in your notes, but it's such a powerful story. You see, the first thing that I've discovered, if you're going to live every day like it could be your last month, in other words, if you're living every, you're living every day like you only have 30 days to live, is you must find your passion. 1 Kings chapter 19, you have it in your notes there. I'm going to read it to you. The Bible says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha. Now, Elijah, Elijah was one of the great prophets of the Old, Old Testament. He was a crusty, you could, I mean, I love reading these stories, but this guy was crusty, he was a little cantankerous, as a matter of fact, he was bad. He was so bad that when he called down fire from heaven on this sacrifice, the guys that weren't consumed there, he went and killed them himself. I mean, the Old Testament's full of blood and battles and fights, and this guy was a bad, I mean, this guy was rough, and he was a prophet, but he spoke the word of God to his generation, and he called the people to repentance and to change. And if you did, you died. So, I mean, back then, preaching was pretty easy. I mean, either you got in or you got out, you know? Either you get in or I'm going to kill you. How about everybody's in? Yeah, we're all in today. Yeah, come on. Altar call was full every week. Right? So look what he says here. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And he himself was driving the twelfth pair. And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elisha. Elijah, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. And he said, then I will come with you. Go back. Elijah replied, what have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat. And he gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Wow. Amazing. This guy was passionate. Elisha was passionate for what Elijah had. Elijah was a prophet, and God had a call upon Elisha's life. You see, the moment you hear the message of good news and you say yes to God, the call is established. Now, your call was given to you like Jeremiah before you were born. But something awakens inside of your heart. We use this word about people who are excited, people that are passionate. We use the word enthusiasm. People love enthusiasm. 
You pay lots of money to watch people who are enthusiastic about what they do. Enthusiasm is something that is contagious. The word enthusiasm, it is literally the word in the Greek, entheos. It's literally the passion of God in you. That's what it means. The passion of God in you. You see, the moment you come to Christ, Spirit of God, the deposit of His Spirit, that passionate spirit, that sense of calling and divine destiny awakens in your life. The seed that was sown, the gospel seed, the good news seed that was sown comes alive by the Spirit of God. Elisha saw what Elijah had and he wanted it. But I want you to see something about Elisha. Elisha was busy doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was plowing his family's field with ox. He was linked with somebody else, and they were literally, there was 12 oxen, and he was the 12th in the row, and he was plowing the field. He was busy doing what he was supposed to be doing. So many times in the church, we're waiting for it to fall on us. We're waiting for the right magical moment. We're waiting for like this, like, you know, some kind of divine thing to happen and there is a divine thing but but what god wants you to do is god wants you to be faithful and to be and to be actively at work in what he's placed before you to do today you see that's how it works we do a little and then god gives us more and if god can see that we're faithful with the little then he'll give you more responsibilities he'll give you a bigger business he'll give you you know, whatever your pursuit or your calling or your dream is in life, you start off being faithful to what God's called you to do. Elisha was faithful. This is so important because so many people start the race and they get distracted and they quit and they get discouraged and all these kinds of things happen within their life. You know, passionate people are exciting. Yesterday, the women had a spa day here at City Church and the ladies, the leaders of City Church, they served the women of City Church and it was like the best deal in town. They got massages and pedicures and what else did they got? All kind of stuff, right? Paraffin, hand and wax. And, and, and I watched the ladies Friday night when they came in. They came pulling in on Friday night unloading all their stuff. And they were just like, man, they were working. And two pregnant girls were like dragging carts around. And they got this place. They got the, the round building all set up and they served. And I watched Katrina. She was so passionate. She was so passionate about what she did. She was just doing what God's created to do, and that was to minister to women. See, everyone here has a calling. But if you're not faithful and busy at doing something today that God's called you to do, see, he was faithful to serve his family. He was faithful to work on the farm. And when the moment came, when the moment came because he knew there was something inside of him, when the prophet came his way, he said, I want it. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to quit. You see, there was a passion inside of Elisha. He wanted what Elijah had. Passionate living. This call for passionate living is a life of giving. You see, lust always takes and is about me. Love always gives. I don't know how else to say that. When it's focused on me, it's backwards. When it's focused on what I want, it's backwards. God wants to turn that around in your life and He wants it to be focused on what you do to serve other people. That's God's way. Because that's the way to abundant life. Now, passion is an interesting thing. Uh, passion, what I've discovered in my life, in my life is, is that I've had to uh, take some risk, to do some things that I've never done before. 
you know, this whole concept that this 30-day-to-live concept is really kind of like the bucket list concept. And, um, and I've been kind of on this journey for about a year or two. Just, you know, I kind of got stuck last year pastoring and just doing the same thing. And I realized I didn't have a hobby. And so last year I decided I was going to learn how to play golf. Now, I, I played at golf, and I still play at golf. But I decided that I was actually going to take lessons in, from a pro. There's a, a Mike Bender Golf Academy right here in the Sanford community. And he's the number one golf teaching pro in the world. And so I thought, I'd go take some lessons. And one of the guys in the church challenged me. And so we went and took lessons. And so I still can't play golf. But I do have a little, I still have a passion. I'm not as good as some of the guys here, but I still like to do it. And, and so I had something got added to my bucket list that I didn't even know was on there this week. Uh, I, I was uh, with my wife, and we met some pastors and businessmen up at a place called Sawgrass. Sawgrass is located between St. Augustine and Jacksonville. It's on the coast, and it's one of the most famous golf courses in the world. And I didn't even know that it existed, but now I do. And uh, there is a hole. Can you put that aerial shot up of that hole? Can you put the aerial before you put my picture up? You got that aerial shot? Okay, this is the hole at Sawgrass Stadium, number 17. And it's one of the most famous golf shot holes in the world. Right, Pastor Glenn? Absolutely. And it's on the golf. You can Google it. I mean, this wasn't an easy picture. I mean, this wasn't a hard picture to find. It's all over the place. It's in Golf Magazine. Tiger Woods hates this hole because uh, this is the 17th. You know, they play 18 holes. This is the 17th hole. And it's one of the most difficult. It's not a long shot, but it's a difficult shot because you can see it's completely surrounded by water. And it's psychologically really challenging. Now, I have never really prayed a lot about my golf game. You know, I worked at it. But I was with this partner, and we're doing this competition against this other team. And I really hadn't been doing very well on my part of it. And this guy had a really sore back because he had to carry me for two days on his back to play golf, you know. But I got to this hole, and I, like, I prayed. I really, I'm telling you, I really prayed. And I said, I said, Jesus, I've never really prayed about my golf game, but if you could just help me with this one. And so I, you know, I got in my position, got in my stance. I was really focused, and I kept my head down. And I followed through with my shot, and I looked up, and people were screaming. All the guys around me were screaming because my ball showed my ball landed right there on the green. It landed on the green. Listen. Oh, come on. Amen. That's a miracle. Divers dig 100,000 balls a year out of that waterway. It's true. 100,000 balls. So at least 100,000 shots didn't make it. And most of the guys that actually shot there didn't make it. I mean, just the way it goes. And, uh, and then the guy that I played with, he putted it in. And we got a birdie on the 17. A miracle of miracles. Wow. Amazing. That was amazing. You know, miracles still happen. But you have to be actively doing something for the miracle to take place in your life. You know, we have a young person in our church whose life has been a life of miracles. And uh, I want to welcome him to the City Church stage. His name is Glenn Wolf. He's our youth assistant pastor. Can you welcome him today as he comes to the City Church stage? Well, this is our third time today, and it's been good. Amen? Well, tell me, Pastor Glenn, tell me about um, you know, when you discovered the passion that's inside of you to do what you're doing. When did you discover that? I think, first of all, um, I would like to say that it was like, you know, I came to the altar and there was like this aha moment when, 
you know, it was the best sermon ever preached and, you know, God's came and like I literally saw an angel or whatever. Yeah. And then at that moment, you know, God said, you're going to be a pastor one day. And it wasn't like that at all. Um, I, I think I, I gave my heart to the Lord at an early age. I was always very sensitive to the spirit. Uh, but it wasn't until I was really about 19 um, that I really found the calling of God on my life and really the passion. Um, you know, you're passionate about a lot of things, but it's one thing, you know, um, even like for my wife, even finding the passion inside of that, I was always like, you know, God, I want her to be the one. It's difference between me saying I want her to be the one and God looking down at me and saying, child, she's the one, oh. you know. And so I think we have passions in life in general, but it was 19 where God, God came down and said, child, this is your passion. Well, wow. so yeah. you had grown up in the church, is that right? You'd grown up. Absolutely. And, and you've been a really wild kid, right? No. No. Oh, okay. Um, different testimony than mine. Huh? Different testimony. <laughs> I, you know, I, I went up to Florida State for the wrong reasons um, in, in general. Uh, I did go to teach golf. Um, so you must have prayed that one in as yeah, when I came on, out to I your staff. Yeah, come on. I needed a golfer on my staff. And, uh, but, de- but definitely, um, you know, I, I, my partying was different than your partying, that's for sure. Okay. Yeah. So I went to Florida State, and what happened there? You know, uh, through, through just different trials and um, no, no parents, no pastor, no sermon, no none of that, that I, that I could have shelter me or get me around or, or even uh, help me. Um, I really started even just debating. I've always been kind of a, a, a smart aleck when it comes to, uh-huh. especially then, I thought I knew a lot more. Um, <laughs> and I would just debate about stuff, and then people just look. I remember one time this guy just looked at me, and he said, dude, you're like a Christian. Uh, and I was like, I am. Uh, you know, and it was just kind of that one that moment. That was an aha moment for you. It was, and it was outside of church. It was outside of a, you know, sermon. Yeah. And not that I didn't ever go to church, but it was, it was so, then that I so really. God did use someone else. Absolutely. I, I know you're passionate about some other things, a few other things I know you're passionate about. Passionate about golf. You're still pretty passionate about golf. Not quite as passionate. Uh, I'm, it's growing in me. It's growing again, huh? Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, you're passionate about music. Absolutely. You play a couple of instruments, don't you? Uh-huh. Tell, me, tell me about that. Tell me how you discovered that passion. Um, you know, did somebody that, help you get there? <laughs> my mom didn't give oh, me a choice. Oh, your mom. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, you, know, my, my, well, you know, my family, but our family's pretty, uh, pretty musically inclined, um, to say the least. And uh, so that was kind of a natural thing. But I remember even just back then, I was probably nine years old, and my mom had a nickname for me that I'm not even sure if my wife knows because it's so embarrassing. And you're not going to say it, are you? No, I'm not, because there are a lot of young people in this room that would blackmail me, that's for sure. I could just hear them shouting during my sermons from here until forever. Uh, and so, you know, I, I remember my friends making fun of me and me hating playing the piano, but uh-huh. now seeing how God orchestrated wow. that cool. to be a passion for him. And today you're living out your passion. Talk to me about your passion, what's happening in your life because you're living out your passion now. Well, I, I think I think the the surface is just being scratched, but I think even just the passion on how I how I knew that I was called for ministry, I think that's what a lot of people are probably wondering or asking now. How do you know? How do how does Pastor Eugene know way back when that he was called? And I think, um, you know, for us it, it was all very different. But I think for me specifically, I remember when I was nineteen, God just said, "I'm calling you to those two guys over there," and it was just two individuals. And some people get dreams about thousands, and you know, I see all this. I didn't see. I it saw two people. Two. And, so and you did the two. You I, I the focused two. on the two, and then when I conquered that mountain, and I just, I really believe this, but once you conquer another mountain, you see a different perspective, and then God gives you a different perspective. Absolutely. You conquer that mountain, Absolutely. and then it will grow. And so now, I'm, now my heart is 
my passion is growing more as I as I follow Christ um, to where it's not just young people. When I first came here, it was just about all about you. To people. Just everyone. Love people. And helping people find their passion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, let's give Pastor Glenn a great big hand. You find your passion, and then you got to follow your passion. You got to follow it. See, there's a lot of people that know they're gifted. The world is full of, of people who could write books that have never been written. The world is full of discoveries that could be made that have never been made. The church is full of people who are gifted and don't use it. Not really. Not really. To the optimum, the way that God's created them. And some of it is the fault of the leadership of the church because the leadership of the church kind of wants to, you know, get the credit and we want to have a feel-good moment about how good we are. But the reality is the greatest thing that I could ever do is to help you become who God created you to be. That's my highest calling. T.D. Jakes says it like this, the greatest thing that I could do is to become a trampoline for the next generation. That's the greatest thing. The greatest thing that I could do is to raise up these young men and women that are around this church right now and literally by the hundreds. It's not reflected here this morning necessarily, but you come on this campus on a Wednesday night, this place is alive with people, children, adults. This little campus is completely packed out. Young people worshiping, experiencing the presence of God. The greatest thing that I could do is to help them trampoline to their destiny and their purpose. You see, not only do you have to find your dream, not only do you have to find your passion or discovery, and when you do that, there is an awakening, but then you go to the next level. You have to follow it. Elisha is such a great example of it because I want you to see in 2 Kings chapter 2 what happens. In 2 Kings chapter 2, the Bible says, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. Stay here. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and is in as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Three times Elijah tells him to stay. And every time, listen to what Elijah says in verse number four. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. There was a dogged determination in Elijah. He was going to get what he came for. And what Elisha came for was a double portion. You see, Elijah performed 18, 19 miracles. 19 miracles. He performed 19 miracles. 19 supernatural events took place in his life. And what Elisha wanted was a double portion. And when you look to the end of Elisha's life, he performed 38 miracles. He got a double portion. Now, it was kind of like me. My only regret was I didn't ask for a hole in one. I wonder if Elisha would have asked for a a quadruple portion. What have God given him that? Sometimes we limit God because we don't ask for enough. At least he asked. You see, there's a determination that you must set in your heart that you are going to serve God. The guy that wrote this book, the one month to live book that we're using, Kerry Shook, he says it's the surrendered life. You just finally get to the point where you surrender it all. You surrender your desire to become a golf pro. You just surrender it. You give it all to God. You give your dreams, your desires, your ambitions, And you say, God, it's all yours. It's yours, whatever you want. And then see, whenever that happens, that gifting, 
that ability, that talent, the passion that God has placed with inside of you starts to come out because God will give you opportunities to discover and to define. And as you begin to live that kind of life, then life becomes, John 10.10, better than you could have ever dreamed of. Oh, will it be easy? No way. As a matter of fact, it was never easy for Elijah, and it was never easy for Elisha, and it was never easy for Abraham, and it was never easy for Moses, and it was never easy for Jesus, or Peter, James, and John, or Mary, or Martha. It was never easy for the people of God, because there were so many distractions, so many opportunities to quit along the roadside. I wrote a few of these down for you this morning. People failed to follow their passion because of the familiarity and the mundaneness of life. Just doing the same thing you've always done. Two weeks ago, I actually wore socks, and I wore a black sock and a white sock just because I've never done that in my life before. I mean, I just never did it. I know that's stupid, but, I mean, I've been thinking outside of the box. I've been, tr- I've been really trying to ask God to help me because I do want security, and I do want safety, and I, I don't necessarily like risk, although some risk I'm willing to take, you know. I, I just said, God, help me. Help me to stop being stuck. And we keep doing, sometimes we do the same things that we've always done and we expect different results. And it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work. See, Elisha had a determination. But the mundaneness of life, having to go out and plow the field every day, having to go to work, you know, wake up, whatever time your alarm clock, mine goes off at 6.20, my son goes off at 5.30 this morning, his alarm clock, he's not in town. He's at a, a pastor's kids retreat, and it went off at 5.30, and it was beeping, and I couldn't figure out how to shut the dumb thing off. And it was like, one of those really irritating ones, and he had it up full blast, you know. So finally, you know what I did? I unplugged it. How about that? I fixed it. You know, I mean, you get up, you go to work, you talk, you know, you just get stuck in this mundaneness and familiarity of life, and routine is good, and all that, but what happens is we start to limit what God desires to do. And there's this gifting, there's this ability. You know what amazes me is that people who are in their 80s who try new things, people who are in their 90s are discovering new ways. My wife is a person of passion. She loves knowledge. She loves to read. She is a very active, full-tilt person. She loves being a mom. She, she works she's working on pastor's wife part but she loves being a mom but she loves serving people but the one thing i'll tell you about my wife is she always has a book always whether she's listening to a book on tape whether she's reading a book she's always discovering new truths new ways to live new ways to think new ways to act new ways to do your life she's always doing it and if you're not reading you're not discovering new ways to live it just doesn't happen if there's something about the power of knowledge that goes into your mind. It's got to go into your mind first and then into your heart. And then you begin to discover the way that God's created you. Elisha followed the dream. You see, the need for approval keeps so many people. The need for approval. People want a, their boss's approval. They want, you know, their, and we want, you know, it's good. It's good to have people's approval, but they try so hard to please other people that they don't please anybody. But what they fail to remember is that God said, If you please me, if you seek me, and my purpose is for your life, everything else is going to be added to you. It's that simple. Everything. Everyone say everything. I mean, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. He was so clear. And we look for everyone else's approval, and the fact is you're not going to please 
everyone. You're not even going to please most people, even the people who are closest to you. Sometimes they're the hardest ones to please. So you've got to really be focused. See, that's a big distraction, trying to please too many people. Too many irons in the fire, trying to make too many people happy. Some people need to say yes. There's some people in this church, you're just stuck. You're sitting on the pew, and you're watching it happen, and wondering what happened. And then there's some people that need to say no. You know, so we got both things happening here. There are some people that need to say yes to more opportunities because God has a new thing for you to do. And there, there are some people that need to learn to say no. Everyone say no. Everyone say yes. Sometimes you're a, a yes and a no person at the same time. But there are things that keep us. They hinder us. And then there's apathetic people. People that are just apathetic about life. Just, where, do I, you know, where do I work? Where's the break room? Where's the time clock? Where's the bathroom? You know, how much am I going to get paid? What's this job? You know, they're apathetic. They're just living life. Americans spend eight hours, six hours, internet, watching TV. We're just kind of going through the motions of life, watching life happen. Watching life happen. It's apathy. The problem is when you start to hang around with apathetic people, you become just like them. Birds of a feather flock together. The people that you are around, will influence the choices that you make, good and bad. It's just a reality. When I was a young man, hang around bad people, they weren't bad, they just made bad choices. That's a better way to say that. They made bad choices. And then I made a lot of bad choices. I woke up this morning, I had this weird thought this morning about a guy that I haven't seen in I don't know how many years. And I really influenced, it's still to this day, I feel so bad. Because I was an influencer even when I wasn't serving the Lord. I influenced people. And I influenced this guy down the wrong trail. And I still feel really, I mean, I do. I woke up thinking about this man this morning. Man. And his life went way sideways. I mean, I went this far, he went farther. You know, I mean, I've got to stand before God for that. I'm praying for mercy. That's, you know, I'm praying for mercy. God, have mercy on me. But we influence people. And if you hang around a bunch of apathetic people that aren't going anywhere, they don't have any goals. They don't have any dreams. They don't have any ambitions for a preferred future. They'd rather talk about other people than talk about ideas and concepts and new ways of living. I, I would challenge you to change your associations. You can still be kind to them and love them, but don't hang with them. I mean, because your destiny is tied to the people that you hang with. Now, if you're married to them, you're stuck. But... <laughs> You better, start, you better start becoming passionate about your life and encouraging them. Start believing in them. You know, people are just personally apathetic. They tried it. Been there, done it. Pastor, that didn't work for me. And then just personally apathetic. Just living life. Just existing. And way too many people just exist. And the fact is you're hearing my voice today. You're sitting in a seat in this room. You have no excuse to live a personally apathetic life. You have no excuse to get up from this place and not determine in your heart to make a significant difference in the life of someone else. Because, see, you will never start living until you start giving. Giving of your time. Giving of your talent. Giving of your treasures. And some people say, well, I'm already doing this. I'm doing that. Well, you know what God says? I want you to do it better then. If you're teaching a Sunday school class, you know what God says to you? I want you to learn how to become a better teacher. If you're playing an instrument and you're leading people in praise and worship, you know God's saying to you, I want you to learn new music. I want you to become more skilled. I want you to bring 
more glory and more honor. We work really hard at City Church to present the gospel in creative ways, in ways that are fresh, to keep it interesting, so that it's just not another wah, 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 wah moment. I've got to connect with people from, you know, in this room. I don't know what the youngest person is here, maybe 9 or 10, and the oldest person, I'm not going to ask, but, you know, there's some older people. I've got to try to connect with people from every age group. That's a great challenge. It's a real challenge. And if I just stood up there and did the typical church thing, it would be really challenging for people to listen. We try to do our best for God. But the fact is, God takes what we offer Him, and He turns it into something supernatural. It's exactly what happened to Elisha. I want you to see the next point here. You see, we must fuel our passion with prayer. We must fuel our passion with prayer. Elijah, listen to this. Look what he does here in 2 Kings chapter 2. And the Bible says, when they crossed, Elijah said to Elijah, tell me what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Let me inherit a double portion. That was his cry. His cry was for change. His cry was for for significance. His cry was to touch a generation, to be mightily used of God. That was his heart's cry. Listen, he was just a worker in the field. He was just one of his, you know, he was just one of some of his father's servants. But he was busy doing what God had called him to do. And the mantle fell. And he took, this is one of the most fascinating passages of the Bible. Because Elisha was going to go up into heaven. Elisha would never taste death on this earth. One of only two men who ever lived on the face of the earth that never went the way of the grave. One was Enoch and one was Elisha. And Elisha said, okay, the only way you're going to get my anointing is if you see me when I ascend into heaven. This was his cry. This was his prayer in response to that challenge. And the next thing you know, boom. God opens up the heaven. Fiery chariot comes. Snatches Elisha away. Power. Incredible power. And the cloak falls. And I want you to hear verse 14 got it in your notes there. Verse 14, I want you to hear what he cries out to God. And you got all these things, how to fuel your passion. I want to get right to it. This is the moment in your life. You're pressing, you're reaching, and then the touch comes. And then the aha moment comes, and you don't even expect it. Somebody challenging you about your faith. Somebody challenging you about your faith aha moment just realizing that you can't do it without God aha moment just driving down the road for me it was just I was just driving down the road and I just realized that God loved me I don't know how it happened I was just literally I remember driving down the road and I just had this overwhelming sense that God loved me that was an aha moment in my life from that day you know I've had lots of stuff and challenges but I really know that I know that I know He'll never leave me nor forsake me. No matter what happened was when I was a little boy with my, heaven, with my earthly father, my dad will never leave me. My heavenly father will never leave me. See, you have stuff that happens. Listen to his cry in verse 14 of chapter 2. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and he struck the water with it. And he said, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Where is he? Where is the God who works miracles and does supernatural in your life? 
I just, I mean, when was the last time you stretched and you did something that if God didn't show up in your business, you were sunk? Think about it. When was the last time you did something in any area of your life that if God didn't show up, you took a risk for God? You took a risk and said, okay, God, I need you to show up on this one. You know, there's all these videos in this series that we could show about people, you know, who they got this diagnosis from the doctor. They were in an impossible situation. Where now are you, God? And then he took that mantle that Elijah wore, the man of God who performed 19 miracles. Elisha was about ready to see the first of many miracles. And the Bible says that he struck the water and it divided to the right and to the left. He crossed over. Wow. Miracle number one. First one of the double portion. First one. See, today... God wants to do something incredible in your life. <laughs> I love the message Jesus said, better than you could have ever dreamed of. Ah, you know, and this is where people get it goofed up. They just think it's going to be easy. No, there are obstacles and challenges. Yes, but it's good because your Father in heaven is good. If this church, this is such a powerful church, this is such a great testimony in this community. Because what's happening here shouldn't be happening. The lives that are being touched, the people that are responding to the altar call every single week, the people, I mean, it shouldn't be happening. You know, this is a difficult town for a lot of people. There's a lot of challenges here. There's a lot of poverty here. There's a lot of obstacles in the natural. God's doing something supernatural. You can walk into this campus almost any day and you'll see this place alive. Children coming, families coming from the community, all the things that God put in my heart, the dreams that God put in my heart that are coming to pass. You're part of the dream. God's got something else for us. God's got the next level of the supernatural. God's got the next level of faith. The next level of risk for you. I don't know what it is. See, we're all different. You heard Pastor Glenn's story. I'm a preacher, so you kind of know my story. But you have a story that's yet to be written. You have a challenge and a destiny that lies before you. God's with you. Today, you've got to take the band. Look at that little green band. If you haven't bought one, you go buy one. The only buck. I wonder if I only have one month to live. What decision would I make today? What would I do differently today if I knew? What would I do? How would I treat my wife differently? How would I treat, what would I say to my children? How would I act in the job? Would I quit my job, keep my, what would I do? What would I do? How would I act? How would I respond? How would I think about this? How would I live my life if I knew I only had one month? Thanks for listening to this message, Live Passionately, with Lead Pastor Eugene Smith. For service times and more information about City Church Orlando, please visit our website anytime at orlandocitychurch.com or call 407-321-9600.